Grace, peace, and mercy be with you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. After doing a re review of the Ten Commandments one Sunday morning, little Cindy approached her Sunday school teacher and told her with all seriousness, Mrs. Smith, Jimmy is breaking the Sixth Commandment. Completely taken aback, the teacher replied, What do you mean Jimmy broke the Sixth Commandment? Cindy replied, He's committing adultery. He's trying to act like an adult. Now, our language is funny sometimes, isn't it? Because some words don't mean what they sound like they should mean. Like, being ambulatory doesn't mean you're getting a ride in an ambulance. Suffering from rheumatism doesn't mean you've been confined to your room for too long. And adultery doesn't mean you're acting like an adult. Although, typically, one has to be an adult if they're committing adultery because, well, at least in our society, children don't marry. And we often think adultery only happens when a married person is unfaithful to his or her spouse. But there's a bigger picture to it. Let me demonstrate. Adultery is connected to the word adulterated, right? So. Ah, a nice, cool glass of water, right? How refreshing and pure, you know, but uh, if I add this into it, right, what happens? Yeah, becomes murky, spoiled. I've adulterated it, right? I've added something which doesn't belong in it, and I've spoiled it. I've added a substance lower in quality and made the thing inferior. You wouldn't drink this, would you? All right. That's what happens to our bodies when we adulterate it with acts or thoughts of immorality and impurity. And I know, what a time to be talking about this when there's so much going on in the world. And it's epiphany season, right, of the church. You know, these Sundays of epiphany are to times to meditate on the things revealed after the birth of Jesus and before he heads up to Jerusalem to die. Sexual immorality seems to be a subject better left for the season of Pentecost. But this reading from Paul comes up in Epiphany mainly because he touches on the importance of having the light of God revealed to us as God calls us to live faithfully as his disciples. So, a typical message on, from 1 Corinthians, what is it, chapter 6. A typical message on 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20, which comes around every three years in, in the lectionary, might sound something like this. Might start with the question, to whom does your body belong? You know? And we're tempted to say it belongs to us. Belongs to me, right? We're the ones who put food in it. We're the ones who clothe it. We're the ones who bathe it and groom it. We're the ones who adorn it with jewelry or tattoos or piercings. We're the ones that bring it to the doctor's office when there's a problem. Natural thought tells us our bodies belong to us. And a preacher would go on to show, however, that Contrary to natural thought and popular opinion, God, through His Word, 
calls us back to the truth that our bodies really belong to Him and that they are a great blessing that He's given us and that we would resist the lies of Satan which tells us to do whatever we want with our bodies and instead trust the truth that God has a higher purpose for us and our bodies that are to bring glory to Him. Well, that's it then. You just got the micro-sermon on a typical sermon of 1 Corinthians 6, 12-20. But I want to take us somewhere we've never gone before. Somewhere I've never gone before because the verses before our text, our regular text today, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 9-13, are not read at all in the church on Sunday because they're not included in the three-year lectionary. And there's some serious questions that arise from these verses. I don't know why they're not included. Maybe because, I don't know. Maybe because they bring up too many questions. <laughs> I, I believe they, we can all agree that these are very relevant today. Let me give you an example. Just on the surface, we've got Paul telling Christians in Corinth, don't associate with the sexually immoral people or the greedy, or the idolaters. All right, well, what about Jesus hanging out with and eating with the worst of society? Aren't we to do the same? I mean, aren't we to be a light in the lives of those who need it most? Because how else are they going to hear if we have nothing to do with them? What about judging others? Popular thought, I mean, and this is popular, it's not necessarily misguided popular thought among Christians, but you, you hear this a lot, right? That we are not to judge others lest we be judged. And, and Jesus does say this in the Gospels. But Paul here seems to be saying, it's perfectly okay to judge those in the church. It's the outsiders you don't want to mess with. Why judge them? And Purge the evil person among you. <laughs> I mean, there is enough here just in these few verses to chew on for a long time. Now, as I've tried to point out many times before, God's Word is a word of context. There's always more to the picture than what you just read in the few verses that the lectionary has picked out for us for a Sunday. And especially when it comes to Paul's letters. It's why I like to read these letters in their entirety. Because that's the way the original hearers were intended to hear them. In the early days of the church, church was a whole day affair. With food, and babies crying, and kids running around, and the old and the infirm there to, to listen Entire households would gather together where a deacon or someone, a leader set aside to do the readings and the teachings and whatnot would read these letters from beginning to end. And you know, when the letter was read to the Christians in Corinth, it was passed on to the Christians in Ephesus. And when those Christians in Ephesus read that, heard that letter, they passed it on to the Christians in Galatia and so on and so forth. 
And you know, there's more than just one point in these letters, right? There's maybe several points. So the people would stop and talk about these things as they heard them. In the church today, especially in America, most people don't want to be inconvenienced for more than one hour. So we barely have time to consider these thoughts from the apostles. So let's just consider this one bit of apostolic advice before we depart. And that is when he says, when Paul says, for what do I have to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. I'm going to read it again. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God ju judges those outside. Now what do you make of that? Some Christians are upset right now because the church, and I don't know exactly what they mean by the church, you know, I don't know if they, if they mean that, that a spokesman for their particular denomination or the entire church worldwide. Some people are upset right now because the church isn't acting as a giant megaphone to the world denouncing sexual immorality in the public arena. You know, especially after a few years ago when the, when the uh, Supreme Court passed the motion to allow same-sex couples to marry, right? And when you look back at that, our church did speak out, and I, don't mean, I, I mean the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod did speak out, and so did the Catholic Church and several others. But you know, did that make any difference? No. Didn't make one bit of difference. And you know, why isn't the church speaking up for sexuality and marriage as it's spoken about in the Bible? Why aren't we continuing to do that every Sunday or every day? I don't know. I really don't know the answer to that question. It could have something to do with what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians. I know that I don't feel called, and I'm not being called, to make a picket sign and march in front of the state capitol or on the street corners of Portland denouncing sexual immorality. I'm not called to do that. And who's going to listen to me anyways? Who's going to believe anything I say? I, you know, maybe it's because I didn't grow up in the church. Promiscuity was just fine with me when I was young, so I know what it's like to be on the outside and hear Christians rail against sexual immorality. It didn't convict me. It didn't change my mind about anything until God brought me into the church. Then, over time, through the work of the Spirit and the Word of God, my heart and mind was, was changed about all that. And I know it was the same for some of you, but we don't all come from the same backgrounds, but we're all moving forward together now as the church with God's common goal for us to have our hearts and minds, even our bodies, conform more to Christ's. So let's consider then Christ's body in all of this. He is the only man to be born without sin. He was not a promiscuous preteen or teenager or young man. He wasn't tempted by anything immoral. 
he did not adulterate his body with anything impure. Why? Because he was just stronger, had stronger faith than the rest of us? No, it's because the lamb who was slain for the sin of the world had to be a spotless lamb without blemish according to the prophecy and the law. God's law demands purity from everyone who believes, right? Case in point, the sixth commandment, which if you break it, it isn't the only sexual immoral thing you can commit. You know, there are many others, you know, but they all stem from, you know, the, the adultery is sort of the chief commandment just of that particular kind of sin, sexual immorality. You want me to go into graphic detail about all the others? No, of course not, because you already know them, right? But they all stem from, from violating the first commandment, having other gods, other idols before the God of truth, which we all do. And when it comes to the church, when it comes to God's people, we were all once outsiders until our baptism. And whether it was two weeks in your life or 30 years, as in my case or more, the, the sin in us passed down from the fall of creation at Eden needed to be atoned for by the spotless, unadulterated Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who died and paid for all the immoral thoughts and acts we've ever committed, are committing now, and commit in the future with our bodies, which are not our own, but His, and are a great blessing. I know it doesn't always feel like a blessing when things hurt, or when things have to be cut out like a tooth, <laughs> but they are a blessing. And there will be a time when these bodies will no longer give us any trouble or pain. But back to this question of judging outsiders. Is it the case then that we needn't bother with standing up for biblical marriage and sexuality in the public sphere? Just let the outsiders do what they're going to do, you know, to their own demise because, well, after all, God's going to judge them anyways according to their works. Is that really the case? I need more time to think about that. I need more time to consult with my colleagues on this. Whether you believe we should or shouldn't, it remains pretty clear either way that judging each other in the church takes priority over outside the church because evil deeds need to be purged from the church in order to keep it from becoming defiled. Well, the thing is, we already know the church is, is already defiled, right? We've all defiled it with our sin. But perhaps Paul is getting at it being less defiled if we stand up for the truth and believe that our bodies are not our own. Now what does that mean on a practical level? Am I going to interview all of you and check on your behavior? Am I going to want you to show me your tattoos or piercings? You want me to be your bedroom cop? No, thank you. I don't want to be traumatized. <laughs> okay. But maybe it means we can take a look at these texts about marriage and sexuality more often. You know, it's always a challenge, though, because 
in this church, at least, you know, the stages of our lives are many, re represented in many phases by the people of this church. And, you know, some of us may be past this time of sexual immorality. Some of our members are too young to be there yet, while some of us are still right in that target area of temptation. It's an uncomfortable topic. And those of us who are too caught up in the evil or who cannot bear the word of God will go back to being an outsider if I push this too much. But perhaps there'll be some who will listen and believe what God says and endure to the end, to eternal life, and earn the crown of glory which Christ has won for them and for us. Just something to consider during these times. You know, you and I were, brought, were bought at a price. Our bodies were made and purchased for eternal life with our Creator and our Redeemer. Our bodies were delivered from death to life. So, this does have something to do with everything. I mean, it's connected with everything that's going on in the world right now. All the sin, all of the upheaval, all of the turmoil, it all comes down to who do we trust more? God or our fellow man? Who do we believe in more? God or our systems of government and polity, our, our leaders, who do we love more? Ourselves and our bodies or God? It's all connected. As Luther says in the Catechism, we weren't purchased for gold or silver, but with Jesus' precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death. That you and I would be his own and live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness innocence and blessedness this is most certainly true amen